0: In the northeast of the country, a family and a community are grieving the death of a four year old child who passed away last week after contracting the most serious form of Strep A. The news comes just days after Stella Lily McCorkendale, a five year old girl from Belfast, died after fighting the bacterial infection for three days in a hospital ICU. Now, so far this year, there have been 56 cases of strep A notified. Uh, 15 of those are in children under the
1: age of 10. And as you said last night... The
0: HSC... Over in the UK, the number of children who have died as a result of strep A has climbed to 15, with parents and healthcare staff remaining on high alert. It's usually mild but can be deadly if it develops into invasive group A strep. As the symptoms can appear similar to colds and flus, Knowing just how to spot the signs of strep A and when to seek medical treatment is causing worry to parents. I'm Conor Pope and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today I talk to GP Laura Lenihan about everything you should know about strep A and to pharmacist Kathy Maher about a worrying lack of drugs to deal with the illness. So Laura, I wonder if we could start at the beginning. What is strep A and what are the symptoms that people should be looking out for?
2: So uh, strep A is basically a group of bacteria, group A strep, that cause a myriad of, I suppose, different infections in people. So some of us will actually have them as part of our commensal kind of microbiome. So they might live in our throat and not cause any issues and live on our skin, but then can go on to cause problems. So we can get skin infections um, like cellulitis or empatigo, which we see in kids sometimes when you get a break in the skin, the group A strep get in. Or we can get um, tonsillitis, uh, which is obviously kind of what's been shown at the minute, scarlet fever, and then invasive group A strep. So it's just like any other bacteria that we can get. And it's super common. But for some reason, we're seeing a surge in cases at the minute and and much more so of the invasive group A strep kind.
0: So you're saying that like a lot of us probably have it on us or within us all the time. Is that right?
2: Some of us. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Is there any indicator as to what might suddenly make it cause a problem?
2: No. So um, certainly when the bacteria kind of multiplies, if your immune system is down or say if it's a commensal on your skin, if you were to get like a cut in the skin around the mouth, a child might get empatigo. Or uh, in the elderly, we often see group A strep in like cellulitis in the leg. So they'll get a little cut because their skin is more fragile and it can cause a cellulitis then.
0: Okay, so what are the symptoms that people should be looking out for then?
2: This is the problem, isn't it? Because I suppose it can be very similar to viral uh, symptoms. And I think this is where what worries parents the most. So when we're talking about tonsillitis, and I suppose scarlet fever, which is what's in the news at the minute, uh, it tends to present with a high fever, a sore throat. Um, And then can present to this characteristic rash, sandpaper-like rash uh, with children. They would be the three main ones. If they have, and I think you you might have discussed it later on, but anyways, to differentiate between a viral and a bacterial in a viral, which is what I have at the minute, you can hear I'm a bit croaky, I have kind of more typical upper respiratory, so like I have a runny nose, I'm feeling a little bit crappy. But with a bacterial, it tends to be the way that I describe it to patients and parents is that it's more focused. So it's the tonsils only that are affected as opposed to kind of the whole upper respiratory tract.
0: Okay, so as you as you say, it's it's very similar to a lot of viral infections that are doing the rounds. And of course, in the in the height of winter, sure, everybody has a cold. Everybody has a cough. So how can people tell the difference between? what could potentially turn out to be a devastating strep A and just a regular sore throat or cough or runny nose?
2: It can be difficult, honestly. And I think you have to kind of trust your your gut with it sometimes. And and if you're not sure, you need to come and see your GP. But how I would differentiate um, is, you know, I think it's good to look in and check a child's tonsils. OK, so get used to doing that, maybe play a... Uh, you know, doctors with them in practice, so you should be able to look into the mouth, have the tongue down, and visualize the tonsils. If it's like an upper respiratory tract, like a viral infection, there'll be like a, a lot of redness there, but you won't see pus and um, so white kind of plaques on the tonsils, and, and they tend to be more suggestive of a uh, bacterial infection. Another thing that can happen is, and what happened with my kids is that they had a viral infection. They got a little bit better and then all of a sudden they started to get worse. And this is really common. It's what we call a secondary bacterial infection. So you have a viral infection and then the group A strep decide to multiply and replicate and you actually get a secondary bacterial infection on top of it. And kids become pretty unwell with that. I think like I'm a parent. I've got three small kids. You know, realistically, there's going to be a lot of worry at the minute. And so, I think if you're unsure, taking them to the GP mm. is the sensible thing to do right now. You know.
0: Now you mentioned that your own kids had it. Are they okay now?
2: They're fine now, but God, I, and I had it myself. Um, I strept out last week. Uh, they're they're absolutely, Well, God, are they? Are they fine? They are. But like, my eldest Harper is six. She was she was out of school for a week, so she had a viral infection at the beginning, and then she just started to go downhill, and I knew immediately often with strep or with bacterial infections they get a real smell to their throat as well and that's the the kind of bacteria multiplying and the pus so I knew straight away I looked in she had nice big white spots and she was she was really miserable with it we kept her off school for a week but realistically I probably could have kept her off school for three weeks and mm-hmm. um, she's still not she was she's fine but she's definitely not 100% but yeah they got over it I mean you know, I, I did a Q&A on my Instagram this week, and I think parents are are really worried about this. And yeah. lots lots are like, you know, should I keep them off school? The thing with group A strep is that it's it's super easy to treat. We have antibiotics that treat it. So as long as you get it early enough, not that it's not, nothing to worry about, clearly it is because we've had all of these deaths, but if you get in there early enough, it is e- it should be easy enough to treat. The issue is... All we do as GPs, and I did a big thing with the European Centre for Disease Control lately about antibiotic resistance, we we tell patients not to get, to get antibiotics. And as GPs, we tell them chances are it's viral and we don't want to give them antibiotics. But actually, this is the one case where you really do.
0: And I, I think, isn't that a really important issue, Laura, because... As you say, the message is always, you know, the antibiotics won't work if it's a viral infection. Don't take antibiotics. You don't want to build up a resistance to these like life-saving drugs. And now suddenly the course appears to have been reversed and we're told get the antibiotics into you as fast as you possibly can.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and I think that's actually going to make for a difficult winter. And I think inevitably GPs are going to give out more antibiotics and parents are going to request more antibiotics and I understand why both of those things will occur because you know you might see a GP at at day zero of your illness or day one of the illness and it might not necessarily look like a strep throat that doesn't mean that it won't look like a strep throat on day two or day three or that it won't progress so I do think that more antibiotics are going to be given out and that Parents will want to take them. I gave a, a, all three of my children antibiotics, you know, um, and and needed them. And but in saying that, though, uh, Connor, like if I saw a child and I saw white spots on a tonsil previously, I would always give an antibiotic, mm. right? Because uh, to me, that's bacterial, and therefore they need something.
0: And tell me what's the timeline of a strep A illness i mean you mentioned that they might start out with a viral infection and it persists and then it, it, they might get better and then they kind of get worse again but typically what can people expect to happen and the reason why i'm asking that is we know that with things like meningitis for instance the, the timeline is incredibly quick but is it like what what can people expect with something like strep a when does it actually become the thing that people need to worry about
2: so I suppose within um, a couple of days, really, you know, not not the invasive group I strep. OK, so that's a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, within 48 hours, like with a bacterial infection, you'll know about it. They'll be unwell. They'll have a really bad pussy, sore throat. Their temperature will be high. It might be a little bit more difficult to control. And it's when that goes untreated then that it can progress to the m- pneumonias or the more invasive uh, group A strep, And and bear in mind, it won't happen in everyone. It's extremely rare. And, and just for whatever reason at the minute, it's happening more commonly. And nobody really knows. I, you know, I was trying to find an answer, but but nobody knows uh, why it's happening at the minute.
0: And I suppose you're right that it is really rare, but it's in the nature of a parent to catastrophize and, and to imagine that, you know, the worst things can happen and to be afraid that the worst things are going to happen to their children. And do you think there's a danger that parents like me and to a much lesser extent you, I suppose, because you're a GP, but do you think there's a danger that parents will panic and start bringing their kids, kids with runny noses or kids with a bit of a cold to a GP surgery and then start demanding antibiotics? And will that make providing healthcare more difficult?
2: Yes, so, yeah, absolutely, I do. And I understand the catastrophizing. So I do that even as a GP. Uh, my mum got admitted to hospital last night, actually, after I was speaking oh God, to you. that. Yeah, but like, your, you know, your head, as a GP, actually, your head goes to places that other people's heads don't go to because I think of all the terrible reasons. And, and I do it with my kids all the time as well. So even as a GP, it's hard to be different. But I do. I think that's going to be an issue. So I think it's really important to differentiate between A mild upper respiratory tract infection, which we'll talk about now, and a child that's unwell. Okay, so a mild upper respiratory tract infection is, you know, um, a mild rain nose. They might have a slight temperature. They might be a little bit off, but they'll otherwise be okay. Versus a child with a bacterial infection will be unwell. They might be you know, have no energy, they might want to eat, they will have higher temperatures, they will have a stinky throat, you know, so there there is definitely a, a difference between them.
0: Over the course of the pandemic, we all became wearily accustomed to testing, PCR testing, antigen testing, swabbing the backs of our throats, sticking cotton buds up our noses. Are there any tests for something like this? And would they if there were tests, are they routinely used?
2: There are tests, yeah, and they're not routinely used. Um, so certainly you can use them. Um, I'm not in GP practice all the time now, so I, you know, but we would have tested in the past. And there are certain GP practices actually that that work with the HSE and they test, they would swab everyone. So they and, and they use that as mm. kind of a measure of disease within the community. Um, but it is possible to test for group A strep. It is possible to swab for it. It is possible to swab for um, viral infections as well. But we don't tend to do that because it's time consuming. It, tend, it, it takes a while to get results and you wouldn't want to wait, right? So like if you look in and see what you think is a strep throat, then you should be treating a of strep course. throat. Yeah.
0: Now, there's been some talk that children born in 2019 or 2020 or 2021 mm. might be more exposed to illnesses like Strep A because they didn't have the same levels of interaction with children in creches and schools and in the outside world because of COVID and because of social distancing. And and I know there's probably no hard and fast evidence, but do you think that's that's a possibility at least?
2: like even I mean you have small kids right the same ages as as mine I think or they might be a little bit older but say Romy um, my youngest was born in May 2020 so literally two months into lockdown uh, and she had no socializing you know for the first however many months of her life her her big sisters who would normally have brought home all of the um, pathogens and viruses from um, crash and stuff weren't weren't at Montessori, so she didn't get exposed to those. So she was the healthiest uh, baby up until like maybe one year of life. And now she's getting everything. So she mm. she didn't get all that exposure, and we need that exposure, um, to build our resistance and to build our immunity. That that that's how it works. There is also some. Um, I was reading a really interesting paper suggesting that much like so we know that if you get infected with measles it wipes out your immune system okay and um it it, it turns off it, it makes your immune system forget previous infections so then you can pick up uh, the same infections that you had previously again you wow. lose your immunity to them and um, and there is some suggestions that potentially COVID could do that too uh, and that that might be affecting it and then it might affect the immune system in the long term, none of this is is certain, but certainly there's really interesting research on it. So um, I think there's definitely, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of different factors at play. But 100%, the fact that kids haven't been socialising normally for the past two years. I mean, you know, you see it in them. As soon as they start school, as soon as they start crash, as soon as they start Montessori, they get everything. And they haven't had that for the past few years.
0: Well, I suppose one of the plus sides then of the pandemic is that kids and indeed adults i suppose have much better hygiene when it comes to hand washing sanitizing hands coughing into their arms so that surely might be a bit of a help right
2: absolutely 100% and actually it's if now it's interesting isn't it because that's something that we practice in healthcare all the time okay mm. so we never did the mask thing but hand washing uh, etiquette and, and things like that and i think it's great that that has gone into the wider community post covid absolutely um And I think it's important to be aware of those things now with this, like people are definitely more aware that when they sneeze all over someone or we had someone in the clinic the other day doing training and she was coughing into her hand and then putting her hand all over our (laughs) mouth that we were then using. And I was just like, oh my God. And so we're all much more attuned to it. And I think that's really good because you don't want to be passing on all these illnesses and, and, you know, so much of that happened pre-COVID, but we weren't really aware about it or Mm. didn't think of it. And now we are. And, And yeah, so I think that can only be a good thing.
0: And speaking of passing on the illness, do we know how strep A is passed from person to person? I mean, is it the case that it's, it's, it's airborne or it's through physical contact or how does it move from host to host?
2: Droplets. So, yeah, coughing and, and yeah, physical contact.
0: What should we be looking to do to keep people safe this winter to keep our children safe to keep ourselves safe to keep older people safe like are there any special measures that people can take or is it just effectively a roulette
2: it's a good question isn't it because like we didn't talk about RSV at all obviously we're talking about group A strep today but the RSV levels which is respiratory syncytial virus is super high at the minute as well okay and this can mm. cause really serious disease in newborns it can cause broncholitis and, and cause a big issue and Since COVID, it's been coming on kind of earlier in the year. And so you'd have lots of parents out there, and I think it was on the front of the the newspaper as well, or it was somewhere, about like not letting everyone hug the baby, basically, because they can pass RSV from baby to adults. And I think that's, that's kind of what we have to do. So there's an element of roulette to it the same way that there was with COVID. But I think if everyone acts as sensibly as they can, then we have the chance to kind of stop transmission. So if your kids are sick, keep them home. You know, practice good hand hygiene. If you think they have a bacterial infection, see the GP and take antibiotics. After 24 hours of antibiotics, they won't be um, infectious anymore. And so I think we have to take it upon ourselves to be sensible to stop the spread because, you know, group based strep in, in an elderly patient or or SV for that matter, in an elderly patient or a younger patient can have more serious consequences. And obviously in, in all age groups of kids at the minute as well with the invasive group based strep. So I think. Final words is everyone needs to take it upon themselves to try and act as sensibly as possible and protect as many people as possible.
0: Dr. Laura Lennon, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Coming up, a shortage of antibiotics and what needs to be done. So, we know that strep A is pretty easy to treat with antibiotics if it's caught early. But there's a problem when it comes to those antibiotics. Kathy Maher, you're a pharmacist in Dulik. Can you tell me what that problem is?
1: Currently, amoxicillin, which is the first line antibiotic to treat strep A, is actually in a European shortage. And we're experiencing supply problems. So, what we're seeing is that the cases of strep A are rising. We don't have the first line antibiotics. What we're doing is referring back to prescriber to see can we get a second line antibiotic or third line antibiotic used to treat strep A. And
0: when you're talking about first and second and third line antibiotics, what do you actually mean?
1: First line is usually the first choice, one that is safest, effective and easily accessed, and there'll be less antimicrobial resistance perhaps for the second and third line ones. We kind of keep the second and third line for maybe more specific cases, and they might have a higher uh, side effect profile. But if the first line isn't available, we'll go with the second line. What would be really, really beneficial is if I have the clinical knowledge and skills, if I could actually then, rather than refer back to a prescriber, use my knowledge and skills that I could just directly switch to a different medicine. There'll be effective treatment, a second or perhaps a third line and get prompt treatment to the patient. And you, as it stands, can't do that, can you? Unfortunately not. There are some medicines that are interchangeable. So they're generic equivalents and we can switch across or maybe switch form, whether it's solid form, which is capsule or tablet to a liquid or vice versa, or maybe amend dose. But if it's a completely different molecule, I will need to refer back to the prescriber. They are so busy and I have to contact them, wait on a response and all of that is time ticking along. And for a case like strep A, when we want to get prompt treatment, that's not really the best case scenario. So
0: obviously when you're talking prescriber, you're talking about a GP or a doctor. Could a doctor write a script that says give amoxicillin, but if amoxicillin's not available, give uh, antibiotic B and if antibiotic B is not available, give antibiotic C. Could the script work like that?
1: That's not really how prescriptions work because it it's not like like a wish list as such. Basically, when the prescription comes in, we have to see what is available. But medicine shortages this is just one example.
0: So what 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 do we need to happen? Is it something that needs to happen at a HSC level at the Department of Health level?
1: That really lies with Department of Health and the Minister for Health. So we would love to see a serious shortage protocol in place. It is in place in the UK, and it's not that we would just interchange medicines for no reason. It is a protocol driven and if a medicine for whatever reason, whether it is a raw ingredient shortage, whether it's a supply issue and we do need to do a completely different medicine. So a serious surgery protocol would mean that we would have a direct protocol to follow that we could switch very safely and make sure the patients in Ireland still receive effective treatment. You're talking
0: about a shortage of drugs. I suppose what's confusing to a lot of people is that why would a shortage like this exist? Because I would imagine that when you're talking about penicillin, it's been around since Alexander Fleming discovered it in the 40s or the 30s or whenever it was. And I presume it's all of these drugs are off patent and they're being made by multiple different producers all over
1: Europe. So where does the shortage lie, do you know? as I said, sometimes it could be down to a raw ingredient. So the actual raw ingredient, penicillin, of amoxicillin, might only be made in one or two manufacturing plants in Asia and they're supplied to other countries around the globe. And then certainly amoxicillin is a European shortage and that had been flagged with us a few weeks ago that it might become a problem. So we have been aware that this might be, and that was we were lucky to be so because oftentimes the medicine might go in short supply and we've no knowledge until we just see that we're not getting replenished. There are two wholesalers in Ireland and the 2000 pharmacies order from two mainline wholesalers. So we're all trying to access medicines from the same place. We would have maybe two to four deliveries a day and a lot of medicines are on allocation, which means I am only going to get an average of what I dispensed last month. And if that runs out and patients come in looking for something, I don't have that by the 20th or 25th of the month. That's a problem. The wholesalers are dependent on manufacturers getting the drug to Ireland. There has been Brexit supply problems still. Manufacturing stopped in a lot of plants in Asia during COVID. So we're only still experiencing that lag catch up. And also demand is increasing as well for certain medicines. At the minute penicillin demand, is very high because of the infection crisis that's going on.
0: And how urgent finally, Cathy, is it that this problem is dealt with quickly?
1: A serious shortage protocol can be put in place for any group of medicines at any time. So we could deal with we had a serious problem back in early summer around HRT. You might remember there was a lot of media attention given to that. And a protocol at that time might have meant it very easily could have switched products. And then once product comes back into stock, that protocol might no longer exist. It'd be really effective at dealing with problems before they become a huge problem.
0: Kathy Mara, thank you very much for talking to us. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Aideen Finnegan. We'll be back on Wednesday.